tonight, what we'll do is we'll just do what Pastor Mike was doing there. How about that? Yeah? Okay, let's rise up. Let's ask the Holy Ghost to come upon us afresh. Lift your hands. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, you're welcome in this place. Jesus, you're welcome in this place. Father God, you're welcome in this place. Hallelujah. You're welcome in this place. Come upon us afresh. Come upon us afresh tonight. Lord, in the name of Jesus, come upon us fresh tonight. Holy Ghost, come upon us afresh. Holy Ghost, come upon us afresh. Lord, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, come upon us afresh. In Jesus' name, release that anointing, Lord. Let it come upon us afresh in Jesus' name. Oh, Rabba Kose, Roba, Zokorebebebe. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. How many of you felt the touch of God? Yeah? How many of you felt that? Yeah, awesome. Okay, have a seat. Thank you. You know, at the end of last year, I was just thinking about my spiritual journey. And I started looking at what I have been doing and how I have been doing things and all that. And then I suddenly started realizing that I had managed to make gospel, the gospel, the simple gospel of God, into something very complicated. I had managed to bring myself to a place where I would have to work and, you know, I would have to do things so that I can please God. I don't know about you, but I was in that place where I was actually trying to make the gospel that is so simple, the love of God that was so simple, into something very complicated. It was no longer the grace of God, but it was whether I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I pursued God, or whether I was in another conference. You know, it just became, day after day, it just became a, a journey for me where I was just trying to know God better. And as I started looking through my life and thinking, God, is this what you really meant when you, sent, when you said that I so love the world that I would send my son? Is this what you meant, that after we have received you into our lives, that journey would be so hard? And I would think that, you know, if I, if I could just get better at what I'm doing, if I would go to another conference, I would just get better at if I go to another meeting, I would get better if I would listen to somebody else. And it became more and more complicated for me. I found that the gospel is very simple. It's about the fact that my Father in heaven rejoices about me. How many of you agree with that? It's not about whether we can wake up in the morning or, you know, it's not about whether we can worship God in the right tone or in the right voice or anything like that. But I realized that in this rush to touch the heart of God, I had made the gospel so complicated. And I started sitting back and I started realizing that actually God just rejoices over me. I don't have to try hard. I don't have to try hard to make him happy about me. I don't have to try hard to make the gospel so complicated that I have to jump these hoops that I have been jumping all these years. See, I'm not saying that, you know, for pursuit of God, you don't wake up, you don't have a disciplined lifestyle. But what, I, what I'm saying is, in that effort to bring about a disciplined lifestyle, I had forgotten that my God just loves me. He adores me. He just loves you. You know, it's not about, about how hard you are trying. It's just the fact, the basic fact, simple fact, that He just loves you. He just loves you. He loves you. You know, even when I was sinful, He still loved me. He loved me when I was full of sin, and I was immature, and I was all wound up with all the sin of my life. He still loved me. And I, I, I realized that, you know, I have been trying very hard. I've been trying very hard. Tonight what I'm going to share with you is, is that, you know, 
How many of you have been on a journey where, where you know, you have tried your best, but nothing seems to work? It looks like you have tried everything that you knew how to do it, but it just did not work. It seemed like that prayer that you had prayed had not worked. How many of you are there? I, you know, is there anybody along with me who's had that experience where you prayed and you did everything right? You know, once my, my daughter was sick two years ago, and being the man of God that I am, I knew exactly what to do. So first when she became sick, I rebuked the sickness. And she was still rolling on the floor. I took her to the doctor. The doctors couldn't find what was wrong with her. She was in severe pain. So they filled her, you know, they stuffed her with morphine so that the pain would subside. Anyway, after a few hours, the pain was gone. Next day again, the pain came back. This time I thought maybe I will, just, I will just come against this. I will make declaration of, of good health and strength upon my child because that's what I had learned. And so I started declaring that no weapon formed against my child shall prosper. Nothing happened. Has it worked for me in the past? Yes. Has both the things worked for me in the past? Yes, it did. I tried everything that I know in the book. I tried everything. It just did not work. And the pain, the pain that my child felt just kept increasing. We would take her to the ED. That the, the ED department would not even admit her. That the nurses would come out, give her morphine and tell us, you take her home in a couple of hours, her pain would subside. Because they just could not locate what was happening with her. This was two years ago. Finally, we just took her into our lap. And we said, Jesus, we need help. Instantly she was healed. I had made the gospel into a formula. I had forgotten that all these formulas were not necessary for my God to heal her. Instantly. It's been two years since then. Never ever has she had pain. And I was shocked because God did not move according to my knowledge. He did not do it the way I thought he should be doing it. But it took me two more years before I realized that God was trying to tell me something. In the Bible, in Second Chronicles verse six, chapter 16, verse 9, it says, the eyes of the Lord are looking to see whom to strengthen. It doesn't say the eyes of the Lord are looking to see whom he, who, is, who is calling upon him four hours or five hours, nothing like that. It's just saying that the eyes of the Lord are looking upon the earth to see who needs strengthening and who has been calling upon his name, who believes in him. You know, as I started thinking of what I will share tonight, I, you know, the, the thing that kept weighing on my heart was, you know, the times that I've thought that I have prayed and nothing has worked. I have prayed and nothing has worked. I just want to share with you tonight, you know, I want to show you somebody in the Bible that, you know, did all the things right, but it did not show up during his lifetime. It did not look like he was going anywhere. Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 2. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued every time I see a random name thrown about by God. When God gives the example of somebody and says, have you looked at that man's life? I'm intrigued. I would start, start looking for why is God talking about that person like that. And in Jeremiah 35, 2, he says, he, asked, he, he, he gave a word to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. You know, the first time I read this, I thought, who on earth is this guy? Who on earth is this group of people that the Bible is talking about? So I started doing a little bit of research about him. I started looking at, you know, why, why is so God so, so much in love with this, this, this person? Why is God talking about this person with so much, so much 
you know, there's, there's a difference in the way he's talking about this person. I'll, I'll just tell you the story of the whole thing. And so Jeremiah approaches, approaches the Rechabites and says, you know, I have, he, he prepared the place for them to have some wine. He put the tables out and he said, okay, guys, I have prepared a, 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 you know, a party for you. Come and have the wine with me. And they said, sorry, we cannot have it because, because our forefather had said, you know, it's in verse 6, it says, but they replied, we do not drink wine because our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command, neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build a house, sow seeds or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but always live in the tents. Then, then you will live for a long time in the land where you have been nomads. You will obey everything that our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. So I was intrigued again, you know. There's somebody who has said something, and these guys are following it. So I started looking, who is this man that these, this, this family is talking about? Second Kings 10, verse 15 to 28. Not much is written about him in the Bible. It just says that Jehu, Jehu was the one who was called out by God to take out Jezebel. And as, she, and as he was fighting against Jezebel and the army that Ahab had built, he saw this man. And so he says, are you with me or on, are you on my side? He says, yes, I'm on your side. So he gives him a hand and takes him on his chariot. That's the only thing mentioned about him in the Bible. It doesn't say that what his family history was. It doesn't say where he came from. It doesn't say how skilled he was. It doesn't say any of those things. It doesn't even say that he made a vow that he would, he would, that neither he nor his family would ever drink or live in a house or anything like that. But he made a choice in his heart where he stood and he said, God, this is what I'm going to do because I've seen the destruction that comes when these things are adopted into our lives. He made a stand. 200 years later, 200 years later, probably when he made this stand, nobody even heard about it. Nobody in, the, in, in, that, in that nation had heard about it. 200 years later, God suddenly says, I want you to go and meet this family here in this corner. And this is what they have done. You know, you might have made stands in your life. You must have said something in your heart that God, this is I'm going to serve you. Be rest assured that God has heard that and he will honor you for that. You know, it might look like our prayers are not being answered. It might look like we are, we are coming against a brick wall. But every time, the only way we can make God happy, every time we, we, we make a choice that is, which, is, which, is, which is based on faith, we make God happy. Not only do we make God happy, that he will remember that. He doesn't forget. He is not a God who will forget the stands that you have taken. Let me assure you tonight. You know, I don't know what, what, what decisions you, what you have made in your heart. You might not have any, seen any results for many years of the decisions and the choices that you have made. Let me tell you tonight that there is hope. We, we serve a God. We serve a God who watches over us like, like a hawk. He watches over us all the time because he wants to be partnering with us. He wants to be partnering with us. You know, that is what touches my heart. When Pastor Dave and Kate decided that we will go and serve in a nation where there is so much violence, it touched my heart. You know why? It's not about them. It's about the coming generations that will be blessed. God in heaven watches over the decisions that you have made. It might look like that you, you were not called out on the pulpit to preach. It might not look like you have, you have got any breakthroughs. Let me tell you, I can tell you from my experience and from what the scripture is saying, that there is a God in heaven who is excited about you. And what is God saying here? He's saying, I'm excited about this family because they had decided in their heart that they will follow me with all their heart. 
It's not about how much you know. It's not about what you have done. It's about what stand have you taken in your heart. And when you have taken that stand in your heart, have you stood back? Don't, don't worry about the result because the result will come. Because the eyes of the Lord are watching whom to strengthen. You, have, you know, if you are made in your heart a choice to live a pure life, if you, if you are a young person and you have chosen that I will not defile myself, I will keep up my virtuous personality, I tell you, I assure you, I assure you, God is watching over you and he will bless you for that. If you have brought your offerings before God and you have said, God, there's not enough in my house, but still I bring that offering, I assure you that there will be an abundance, the abundance that Brett was talking about, the, the abundance that, that Rachel was talking this morning. There is a God who is watching. He's watching so that he may, because he rejoices over you, not to punish us, but because he rejoices, because he gave his only son to die on the cross when he, we, we were not good enough. He doesn't care. He doesn't care whether we, we, we shout at him in the morning and, and worship in the morning or not. But the moment we take a stand for him, he says, that's my boy. That's my daughter. That's my child. That's my child. We have a good God. He's excited. He's excited. You know, tonight when we pray later on, what I, I, what I would encourage you to do is come before God, if you have been like, with, like me, and trying to work out everything in your head, and trying to work out why God has not been answering your prayers, and trying to work out how you could actually twist his arm to, to make, make, make some things happen. I come from a nation where we strive to do things. We would go on a fast of 40 days. Very easy. We will just go on a fast as soon as we needed something. But after a while, it's like twisting God's arm. It's no longer based on faith. It's a formula. We want to make God do things for us. And that's what we do. I'm excited because I have, I have realized a key of actually settling down and being in the presence of God. Just knowing that I don't have to strive or do anything extra to be accepted by him. I had forgotten that he had accepted me just as I was. I want to encourage you. He just loves you. You know, when you decided to come to church tonight, he said, that's my child. When you, when you, when you lifted up your hands and worshipped him, he said, that's my child. He knows your needs. He knows my needs. He doesn't need us to actually prompt to him that this is what I want. You know, God was so pleased with the family for the decision that, I, that they had made. I'll just show you, Jeremiah 35, 19. So here was the, was the great granddad who had made a decision to follow God. He said, this is how I'm going to live. 200 years later, when nobody else was actually making any note of this family, they were not considered to become the kings. They were not considered to become anything in the presence of the king. But God made a note about them. Jeremiah 35, 19. And this is what he said. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says. You have obeyed the commands of your forefather, Jonadab, and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he has ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says. Jonadab, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to serve me. You know what it is saying? That for generations to come, one man's stand is going to change the destiny of that family. You might have made some stands in your heart. The day you received the Lord... You decided to serve him with everything that you have. You made a stand. A stand that you make will make a difference. Will make a difference in the generations to come. He's absolutely a fantastic God because he rejoices over you. He's not ashamed. He's not afraid. He just loves you as you are.
And just because of the stand that you make, he will bless your future generations. The choices that you have made in your heart would change the way your children would be blessed and your children's children would be blessed. We look at the story of another man. I, looked, I love to look at these random people in the Bible. You know, because there is a clue in there. There is no mention about their father, their mother, or any of their history. But something that they did impacted God so much that he has their name printed in the Bible. This book is printed. This book is the most read book in the world. It has more translations than any other thing that has been, that has been produced on earth. It has more translations. To give you an idea, in India we have 25 languages. They are different individual languages and we have about 2,000 dialects. The Bible has been translated into most of them. This is about one nation. There's another guy in the Bible whose, whose random name is Obed Edom. Have you, have you ever come across that name? Obed Edom. You know, I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. I love looking at these random names. And so I started looking at it. What is it that God did in the life of this man? Now, Obed Edom... ...was a nobody. He was a Gitti or a Gittite. And when God actually promised the land to the children of Israel, he said, kill them all because they are no good. So the Gittite tribe was occupying the land of Canaan at that time. So he was one of the Canaanite tribes or one of the Philistines. And so when God gave Joshua the job of doing a cleanup, he said, go get them. Okay, how does it sound if you knew that your great-grandfather and your forefathers were actually supposed to be taken out, but somehow or the other they survived? It's not, it's not a very good place to be in. You know, you look weird because suddenly you're starting to think that why, why did I survive or why, what was wrong with me? So here was a Gitti who lived in the land of, of Israel. And... At that time, David was a king. David said, okay, let's go and get the ark back, the ark of the covenant. So what he did is, according to what, he, what information he had, he just took a, car, a cart, put some, put a, took two cows in front of it, and started bringing the ark of the covenant back into the, into the temple. On the way, we know that you know, the, the, the ark almost fell out of the cart. And one of the guys who was walking with it tried to hold it, and he got fried. Because that's what happened, you know. The, the fire of God came out, and he was killed instantly. Now David was afraid. So what did he do? He picked up this ark, the, the ark of the covenant, and put it into the house of Obed-Edom. After he had put the, the cart, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant there, it stayed there for three months. And news started coming to David that God had been blessing this Gentile. This man who was supposed not to be blessed, he was starting to get blessed. So immediately David is a smart guy. He wanted the blessing. So he just said, okay, we'll go and get the Ark of the Covenant out from there. He did his research and he, he did the right thing. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back. He put it in a tent. And then suddenly you start reading about Obed Edom. So David, you know, meanwhile, what David had been doing is he had been studying the scriptures. He came to understand what God had said. That the Ark of the Covenant should be carried on the shoulder of, men, of, of four men. It should be carried in. What had to happen? And then David started having his encounters with God. He started coming into the presence of God. And he realized 
that you come into the presence of the ark of covenant and worship god there and he and he brought into existence a kind of worship that we have now so there were musicians and all those people standing there and among all those people those highly qualified people people with great great you know great names they were they they, they had big family tree to represent them was the name of this guy obed edom he was promoted from being a nobody and suddenly he was made the gatekeeper to the tent he was made a gatekeeper he would stand before the ark of the covenant and he would keep watch over it all the time he was made one of the musicians who would play the harp in the presence of god all the time now it made me wonder the bible doesn't say what obed edom did in those 3 months that he was accepted from being a nobody to becoming somebody of of importance you know he's a god who doesn't change i thought when i came to the lord i thought there was no hope for me anyway i made it across the crossing line you know the finishing line i just made it and i thought at least i can sleep now because that was my major issue i couldn't sleep and now i could sleep so there i just crossed over the finishing line and when i looked at my own life i saw nobody ever believed in me nobody ever thought that i would make it in life i looked at all the failures and all the fights and everything and the scraps that i got into there was no hope i looked at my friends and they were going nowhere most of them were on drugs they were on alcohol and i did not think i will go you know would last the distance when but one when obed edom touches the heart of god he moves him from being the nobody to being the doorkeeper of the house you know there is hope because he rejoices over us he rejoices over us it doesn't matter what your background is it doesn't matter what our background is your background is my background is it doesn't matter if we don't have a big family tree it tells us that there were 25 pastors in our family and there were 35 prophets in the whole tribe it doesn't matter because he watches over the heart of one person and the heart of one person can change the rules and the regulations that god had put into place he will assure you into a new place where you suddenly become a person of importance obed edom and his family continued to serve god for many years later on in the bible in the times of hezekiah obed edom was the one who kept the treasure from being an outsider being a gentile god moved him from that place to taking care of the most precious things that the king, that, that the children of israel were looking for what do you think he did in those 3 months he had no idea how to serve god so what do you think he did he must have just stood there and and cried before the lord use your imagination he would have just stood there and said lord i love you lord i love you i'm so grateful that you came into my house i'm so grateful that you have come into our family see he did not know that you had to sacrifice lambs before god he did not know any of those rules and regulations he did not know anything about those things but he stood in the presence of god this is my imagination and he would just say i love you it was simple gospel just about saying god i love you jesus i love you jesus i love you i you know when i started thinking when i started meditating on the life of obed edom before and after i could see the transformation and it was not based on anything big that he did 
If that was the case, then the Bible would have recorded that. There's another guy in the Bible. His name is Zodok. He serves as a priest during the time of, of David. There are a few mentions about him in that book. And then there is silence. And then suddenly in the book of Ezekiel, God starts saying, this is about 300 or 400 years later, he's saying, the priest that would serve me will be like Zadok. That anybody who wants to serve me would be like Zadok and his sons. And they will stand before me and they will serve me and they will worship me. The only time that guy was mentioned in the Bible was during the times of David. Then there is silence. What did he do that God would be so impacted? That after 400 years, God could still not forget about the way he worshipped him, about the way he, he stood before him and the simplicity with which he worshipped him. You know, I'm throwing out these random names because I want, I want you to understand that these, there is no mention about any historical background about these people. But God saw what was in their heart and what they could do. You might have, you know, you might have come to the Lord and you might be thinking, there is not much hope for me because... I do not have a background. You might be thinking that there is nobody who can teach me anything from the scriptures. God does not promote people by what they know. He promotes them because of what is in their heart. He promotes them for the purity and the simplicity with which they come to God. How can I say that? There were Pharisees and Sadducees who knew more about God than anybody alive on earth. But they never came into the presence of God. And God honored simple people. And there was simplicity in their worship. There was a purity in their worship. You know, after Jesus was born, suddenly there is a name thrown out, Simeon. And, and the Bible makes a comment that God had spoken to Simeon and said that you shall not die till you have seen the salvation that I have prepared for Israel. That's the only mention about Simeon in the whole Bible. There's another person in there, Anna. You know, God says... And I go into the temple so I can show you the person that I have prepared as a salvation for, for Israel. There's not much mention about her. The only statement about her is that she fasted and prayed before God. She had an understanding about the simple gospel of Christ. You know, we just need to start, I, you know, let me put it like this. I've started going before God with simplicity, not based on what I know. Because in, the, in that pursuit of knowing more about God, I had just forgotten about his character, his personality, that he just rejoices over me. He just, he just, he just rejoices. He makes the angels have a party when I, when I do something right. You know, he just makes them have a party because I had, I had made a, a good decision in my heart. He just rejoices over the simple steps of faith that I take. The breakthroughs will come. And as we lean upon God, the breakthroughs will come.
I'll just touch one more person before we go, we, we go back into worship. There's a person named Ruth in the Bible. And we have heard a lot of stories about how Ruth took care of her mother-in-law and, you know, God blessed her and all that. To me, it's just, the story is much more than that. God was so angry with the Moabites. She was a Moabite woman. God was so angry that he said, up to any person who is born in a Moabite family, up to 10 generations, will I not, not even up to 10 generations, will I allow that person to come into my presence? There is more to the story of Ruth than what we see. There was no hope for Ruth to ever come into the presence of God. No hope. And I don't think that she followed Naomi, her mother-in-law, because she thought she might, some way or the other, sneak in and become, and can come into the presence of God. I don't think that's what her thinking was. She was just in love with her mother-in-law, and that's how she functioned. She was not conniving, or she was not, she was not planning a way she can enter into the presence of God. But God saw the simplicity of her heart. He just saw the way Ruth approached God. And the eyes of the Lord that go to and fro over the earth saw Ruth and said, that's the one. Not only did he take her into the kingdom, she became the great-grandmother or yep, great-grandmother of, of David. And so ultimately became, came in the lineage where Jesus was born. A mobite woman who had no hope, who had no hope of ever being considered to becoming part of, of Jesus' generation was added because of the simple thing that she did. And we try and make the gospel so difficult that we ourselves who are born again, cannot come into the presence of God because of the way we have done things. And we feel we don't, we don't have a breakthrough. We feel that we are not making it into the presence of God. It's just simple. Jesus said, come to me as children, as small children. Just simple, just simple, putting out your hand and saying, God, I need help. That's how I was saved. I did not say the sinner's prayer. I did not know there was a sinner's prayer. I knelt down. For three terrible years, I could not sleep. I was very sick in the body, starting to lose my mind because of the images that ran through my mind. I knelt down and I said, God, I need help. God, I need help. And he came. Actually, when I look back, you know, I led more people to the Lord when I did not know much about Christ. I'm being honest. And since I started having all these revelations about the Greek and the Hebrew, I struggled to lead people to the Lord. I led more people to the Lord when I did not have any background, any knowledge, but I was passionate to tell them about this Christ who saved my life. I saw more healings. I saw more people getting healed when I did not have all this information and I did not go into the war rooms of God and I was not part of it. I just knew the simple gospel that there is a God in heaven who said, that I am anointed, I am anointed so that I may heal the brokenhearted, that the lame may walk, and the, and the deaf may, be he may hear, and the blind may see. I just knew that there was one simple gospel. That was my scripture that I walked around with all the time. And I led people to the Lord in large numbers. And with all the knowledge and the information that I have now, I don't lead people to the Lord. I want to go back to the basics where I just knew that I am anointed. I am anointed to call people into the kingdom so that they may, their hearts, the broken heart may be healed. Their hands may be made whole. 
their legs may be made whole, that I would teach them how to come out of captivity. I'm finishing now. You know, you heard me talk about, about my journey. And to some of you, it might have touched in a different way. But if you have been thinking, if you have been thinking that only if I could make God a little more happy by what I do, if you have been thinking that what can I do one, more, one little more thing that would make my God happy, but it has come to you as a revelation tonight, that he's already happy about you. You want to come back to him as a, sm as, a, as a small child and say, God, I'm sorry that I complicated the gospels just so much. If that's you, you know, when the worship team starts worshiping, come forward and stand before God. We don't even need to pray with you because you have got the revelation that the gospel is simple. If there's anybody here, you know, who has not given their heart to the Lord or has not known Jesus Christ as their personal Savior or somebody who can set them free from their sin, who can, who can heal their body, heal their soul, heal their heart, If there's anybody here, please come and see me at the end of the service. I would like to pray with you and tell you how simple it is to actually come into the presence of God. You know, there are a couple of people for him. God has given me a word. So uh, once we start worshiping, I'll just share it with you. And uh, we'll finish tonight. While we are in that, while we are worshiping, the young man there, yep, this is what I feel, that you have stood in the background and you have watched people worship God and you have thought, will I ever be able to worship him like these people? You have watched people and you have thought in your heart, God, I want to encounter you on a, on a, on a, on a more you know, in a better way. I want to know you in a better way. God is going to give you encounters that He have not imagined in your heart. He's going to touch your life in a way that He will bring you from the back seats. He will bring you to forward. He will call you out into, into you know, He would call you out to come forward to do things that He has in store for you. Yeah. You know, Brian and Tony, even while we were worshiping, God told me about you. You know, you have, you have made a big sacrifice to move here. And he has been watching over you. 
and God is going to honor you for the thing that you have done. You will see breakthroughs coming. You will see transformations. You are, you are, very, you are very evangelistic in your heart. You will find lives changed. You open your homes for people to come in. You'll find honor coming around your life in a way that you have not seen before. And God is going to, to lift you up in a way that you would be surprised. I believe that God is going to move you into another gear. And there would be like, I feel that you have been cycling and biking. I feel you are going to have a scooter given to you. You know, it's going to change. Amen. Come church, why don't we just come up the front for the next 10 minutes and, and worship and enter into just what Pastor Sergeant was saying. We don't have to strive. We just have to come into his presence. We're already approved. We're already loved. Just come and open your hearts. Come on, let's just, let's just fill the front tonight. Lift our hands and open our hearts to Jesus. It was such a good word, such a good word tonight to lift us up to make us whole. Beautiful Jesus, just make way so everyone come forward, Tony and Brian, thank you. Just come forward, just all come forward as a family tonight. Let's lift it up, Sue. Let's lift your hands to Jesus.
person, put your arm around them. Pastor Sergeant, come up. We want you to pray for us tonight. That was a beautiful message. But you need to impart it with prayer over us as we hold each other now as a family. Wonderful message. Father in heaven, we just come to you like children, Father. We just come to you like children tonight. Father, we just come into your presence as children. We just love you, Daddy. We just love you, Father. We just love you. We just love you. We just love you. Thank you for rejoicing over us. Thank you for rejoicing. And thank you for being happy with what we do. Thank you for being so happy about what we do. Thank you, Jesus. Father, tonight, as we come into the throne of grace, we come into the presence of the throne of grace. Father, I pray that, Lord, a fresh anointing would come around the people tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we call forth a fresh anointing, Father God. A fresh anointing. Lord, a fresh anointing would come upon people that they would, Father God, Lord, revelation about you would come around their life. The simplicity of your gospel would be revealed in the name of Jesus. We release that fresh anointing to come upon people in the name of Jesus, Father God. In Jesus' name. I just thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.